Welcome to another episode of Clubhouse Conversations. I'm your host, Simon Thornton, and in the Clubhouse today, we have uh, three members of the Duck Hook team. Uh, we have Scott Sullivan, we have Ben Scott, and we have Nick Burns. Lads, welcome. How are we? Cheers, Simon. How are we doing? We, uh, this is our second go, second bite at the apple. We uh, had some gold, and then this guy forgot to hit record, so... Lesson learned very early on, but thank you very much for coming back in and doing this again. Hopefully we can uh, recapture some magic. Um, we go. Right, well, we'll start out at the beginning. We've kind of done this with everybody so far. Sort of give us a little bit of background on, on yourselves because you're all hockey players. So a little bit of sort of where you started out with the sport and a little bit of your journey to the point where, let's say, journey to the point where you joined Pembroke. And that'll be sort of a cutoff point. Uh, Scott Sullivan, we'll start with you. So yeah, I mean, I've been in I've been in Pembroke now, I think seven or eight years. But starting, so myself and Ben would have played in school together. What <laughs> you laugh at that? Um, so yeah, we would have played in school together, um, and then would have played against the Bear Burns as well in school, and that uh, yeah. Um, he was that size when he was, we were about 13 as well. So you can imagine how scary he was. Um, but yeah, just played in school up to about or 18. And then as soon as I moved to Dublin, 2013 or so, I think, joined Pembroke. And yeah, I've been there since then, really, playing ones, twos, sin bin, up in the balcony, suspended half the time. But, uh, but yeah, that's kind of how I ended up in Pembroke. Yeah, possibly the longest red card in history, thanks to COVID. I still have a good reserve. You still have one, still have one to serve. Ah, uh, yeah, early retirement. Just pack that one in. Uh, Bear, we'll jump to you then. Yeah. So, geez, yeah, I, I started playing hockey when I was like four, up in Garyduff, and in primary school in Cork. Um, played secondary school in Middleton. Had a few encounters, as Sully said, with himself. Um, then I went up to UCD and. Was on the scholarship there for three years and then once i finished my undergrad um i took the rite of passage for any court person at this stage in irish hockey and joined uh joined pembroke class and then ben how about you i think you're the most recent addition to pembroke uh yeah no, I'm, I'm the newest i think i joined about two years ago similar story to the lads played a bit of hockey not as good as the other two all the way up through school and that sort of stuff I uh, went to University of Cardiff, played a bit of average hockey over there, gave it up for a couple of years, went to London, and then found my way to Dublin about two years ago, joined Pembroke, and I've been in the bar ever since. So I'm just waiting for my chance to get back there after COVID. Story checks out. It uh, started with a very hot Dusseldorf, didn't it? Was that the first? Yeah. Somehow I got dragged into a one strip of Dusseldorf. And I, well, I definitely wasn't there for the hockey playing anyway. <laughs> definitely the pointing. Um, so tell us a little bit. So Cork. There's a bit of a rivalry down there, is there, between your Sully, between your two schools? Is that right? Or you just happen to be playing against one another? You wouldn't call it a rivalry now. Yeah. You're just probably the only two or three schools that played hockey in Cork. So I guess in that sense, it's a, it's a rivalry. But yeah, it was all it was love. More, it wasn't really a rivalry. It was more that we hated Nick. And that <laughs> was really. Fair enough. And were you same club then, or were you rival clubs as well? Different clubs. So I was C of I and the lads were knocking around Bandon, mucking around there. <laughs> <laughs> Playing agricultural hockey. 
agriculture fair. Uh, so there's, some, there's some representative then in 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 Sully with you, and then Nick with you as well. Uh, starting with you, Nick. Tell us a little bit of that you played. Do you have senior caps or all under eight? I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. So I I played senior. I think I have five caps. Um, and then I started under sixteens. Probably helps that I was this size since then for sure. Back back when I wasn't as good a hockey player. <laughs> uh, when yeah, I played eighteens, under twenty ones. I'd say under twenty ones is the best fun playing international hockey. We played. Uh, European B division in Portugal and it was a great crack over there um, but yeah that's probably some of my best Irish hockey memories Was that the year that they you guys won it and got promoted back into the A division was that that year? Yeah exactly and I actually so when I had my under 21 team the first year was it was the first year they reintroduced it uh, having like abandoned the under 21 program for like however many years for like the Ireland A so we had to start off in the C division of Europe, which is now that's interesting. You think you've seen stuff down in Bandon? There was lads turning up to games in like football boots. Um, there was a couple of occasions where we may have went out the night before. Uh, so I, I think the total goals was like fifty four goals scored in the C division and none let in, <laughs> and we managed to get then promoted to the B division. So my last year in the twenty ones, we managed to to get promoted then back to the A division. So yeah. I, d- I didn't quite get the, the final round in the A division, but yeah, that was where we were. So you would have... Were you, you were captain as well, weren't you, Bear? Yeah, yeah. Somehow they decided that I was the man to lead us out and that I was <laughs> I was the best example. No, I, I don't know how they managed that. Um, it certainly makes a lot of sense that some of the nights you went out before playing. That was, no, that wasn't when I was captain. Either. We were on the straight narrow. <laughs> That's not in the leadership locker, no? No. Um, and you would have been, we had Mark Ingram on here before. Were you that same age group then? Yeah, so Iggy was on that team. Um, who else was on that team? Mark Lockery, who would have played his, a lot of junior hockey with Pembroke and senior as well, I guess. He's playing over in Exeter and where is he now? Old Georgians. So he was on it. I don't think there's any other Pembroke people on it though, no. And then Sully, how about yourself? Um, I was just 16s and 18s, so played the, the two years there. Only I was the year below um, Nick and Iggy, but we played. I think we played one year together in um, my first year playing for Ireland when we were out in Scotland. Um, but I was just 16s and 18s. I peaked at around 16 years old, and it's been a, a downhill slide ever since. So I suppose how, how maybe you got both two got two different journeys. One where it kind of just stops at the end, and I think that'd be quite. A similar story for quite a lot of players who think that they're going to go through what was it what was it that sort of took you out was it just was it a lack of interest or um or how, how did the end of that sort of come about and then we might talk because nick obviously you then stayed in for 21s and got end up getting senior caps but so far i think Sully, you're the first one on who who has been in the underage but then not progressed thanks for thanks for pointing that out simon you're a gent also simon if you just want to pass over i've got a a locker full of monster caps. So we'll just <laughs> throw that one in there and move on. Sorry, who's that? <laughs> um, well, yeah, so like, I mean, I played 18s up to 18 and then we, we went to live in Australia for a year. Um, and to be brutally honest, when I came back, was just was nowhere near the standard. Um, never really got anywhere near that standard again or have been. Um, but I mean, like you've played with me, so I'm not really 
wouldn't have, wouldn't have the head for it or the, the commitment as well that's required in fairness to, you know, any kind of international level, but it's a serious level of commitment from training and stuff. And I'm not sure I'd be the, an ideal candidate for that. So uh, it was very easy for me to fall out and, and claim, oh, they didn't want me, but really it was, it was never an option for me. That, that is fair. And I think that's something that, especially when we put sort of pour so much importance onto like the interpros and the, the Irish stuff at the start is actually, it takes a certain type of beast to be able to keep going and to stick with that high performance setup. Um, and maybe that needs to be looked at, that there is a, there's a need. I was, I was listening to a podcast with Eddie Jones the other day and he talked about how underage teams possibly should be still be, um, development teams and they really need to shy away from high performance at that age that they're still everyone needs to be taught there they need to learn there that they don't necessarily need to be coached so to speak but that there's almost a pressure to put high performance in straight off the bat and maybe we just actually need to be better at developing players at that age maybe things are changing i'm not sure then nick yours was your story was a little bit different obviously then you, you continued on through 21s and and got yourself some caps what what, what happened there tell us your story there yeah, like I think it was kind of the, the classic case of you know staying involved throughout the underage setup and then just staying involved. Then once you get involved with the senior stuff, I think where it started to, to I suppose the appeal of it started to diminish for me was when you start working, and there's a lot of other attractions and distractions, um, and it's just kind of hard to stay motivated, especially if you're on the periphery of a squad. Like, I commend anyone who's like as dedicated as they can be and, you know, not making it as well. Like it's well and good if you're making it, at least there's the the kind of carrot there for you and you, you end up getting some success. But I just, to be honest with you, fell out of love with it a little bit, um, but also probably may not have been good enough to uh, to really be in that squad the whole time. Um, so, yeah. They're both very, uh, what's the word? Um, quite thoughtful about about your time and there'd be there, as you said Sully there'd be plenty of people who are like oh you know you just didn't want me I was definitely good enough to do it and whatever and so very very mature perspectives on both on both things uh I'm, he's on the call you don't have to rip the piss out of him while he's on the call. <laughs> uh no not at all Ben then will give you your little bite of the apple yourself tell us about your monster caps Look, there's a lot of them. I'm not going to bore anyone with details. There was goals, there was women. There was... <laughs> Next subject. Brilliant. Well, okay, so we'll, we'll take it on a little bit then. Uh, unfortunately, Ben, you're just going to... You, you're going to shine when it comes to duck hook stuff. We're, we'll stick with some of the hockey. That's yeah. highlights yourselves now over the last few years. You've both been first teamers for quite a while. Um, maybe so any highlights over the last few years that spring to mind um, in your previous years of playing with Pembroke uh, we'll start with you Sully well I got a lot of cards um, so it's hard to pick out one that was my favourite card um, but, uh, no I mean like see a lot of mine on the pitch like obviously we, my first year in Pembroke we won the Junior Cup which was you know which was brilliant um, I mean, when you're, I was 18 or 19 at the time, you don't put your hand in your pocket because Pete Priestley is playing everyone drinks after winning the Junior Cup is, is great when you're that age and stuff. And so that was fantastic. But like recently, it's more, it's more the crack we have at training up in the bar Saturdays after games. Like that's the kind of stuff that I remember most about, um, like after games and stuff like that. It's, it's more than on the pitch. Like on the pitch is, is obviously great as well. But for me, like the best thing about Pembroke is the people. Um, and like that's probably the one thing I miss the most at the moment with everything going on. 
Yeah, fair. Nick, how about yourself? Yeah, like similar to Sully, but like it kind of irks me that we haven't actually won a major trophy since I've been here. Like we, I probably a season that stood out to me was the year before I left to go play in England. Was that year we got to the Irish Senior Cup final and we also got to the IHR or whatever they call it these days, AIL final. Um, and like just the fact that we haven't managed to get anything over the line massively uh, has been a bit of a letdown. And I'm really sad that like last year we didn't get a good lash at it because we have a serious team coming back together now. So I'm looking forward to getting back out there um, and actually creating some more memories. But yeah, to be honest, it did. Like Sully says, it's just the, the crack you have along the way is often what stands out the best for me. Yeah, and we're set up perfectly with like the clubhouse on the side of the pitch and everything. We've got a bar. Like I hope to get Rob on here at some point. I hope that we can shift these to the clubhouse as well. Like it's in the title. It was always part of uh, our discussions when we were when we were setting this up. Was we'd love to sit this, set this up with an armchair on either side in front of the window with the pitch in the background, and we'll sit down and record these in person. Um, so hopefully we can get that. But like it is that's the thing. It's the social side and everything. But to your point, I think there's quite a few people. There have been some serious teams in the last, say, 10 years coming through the club that haven't ended up putting results on the board. And I think that if you get down to it, anyone of the, those players that's sort of been in there those last 10 years, maybe, I think probably feels pretty similar to you. Um, I know Iggy was Iggy was the same, a little bit the same. He sort of signed off with that message of like where he wanted to take take the place, take the club and that was sort of the sentiment of like, we need to get back to sort of where the club was. Um, well then jumping on, actually you spent a little bit of time away as well. You, you mentioned it there. You're in old Georgians. What was that experience like? Yeah, that was class. Like I kind of just joined the club um, for the sake of getting to know people. When you go abroad, it's just so nice to have a sport. That you can immediately have points with people get to know people um but it turned out that i joined like what i'm gonna call the the man city of of hockey they were just a serious amount of like signing players and ended up playing with some serious like ex-olympians like the likes of ashley jackson current olympians your man sam ward and we were in the second tier of england and got promoted to the top division the premier league without losing a game so there was there's some great memories there. Um, good people I met along the way there as well. Anything that you'll you'll take you'll take back because that you haven't got to play a season back in Pembroke since you've been there, have you? This that would have been this. I, no, I got one. So this season would have been my second season back. Okay. What would you What would you say is the uh, one of the biggest lessons that you took away from from being over there and being involved in that setup with those sort of high performers? Yeah, I guess it's just about like in a group of people together who are willing to dedicate it to dedicate themselves to getting to where they want to be so like you know it's well and good talking about it on podcasts like this or whatever but like actually putting plans in place they're really good at that but one thing i did definitely appreciate coming back was actually the facilities that we have like they may have potentially a lot of money on the go but they definitely didn't have the same level of facility like didn't have a clubhouse they played in a school um so like just actually appreciating what was on offer in Pembroke, like it's probably second to none in Ireland, really. The the level of facility and you know, the bar is great. There's improvements coming, I believe. There's a lot happening. Yeah, Rob, Rob. it's key. It's it's those little bits. They're they're the little details. Um, all right, we'll we'll move away from hockey 
Ben, you're about to come in, come into your element here. All right, so Duck Hook, tell us how did this come about? Uh, we'll start with you, Ben, just because they've had all the airtime so far. Tell us what, what, where did it come from? It was a bit, it's been a bit of a passion project just for the four of us. So it's obviously Scott, Nick, myself, and then my cousin William. Uh, William Morrow would be quite well known to a couple of the Lady Sixes. His name might ring a few bells from a few socials in the club. Um, and I think kind of 13, 14 months ago, the start of COVID, we find ourselves obviously a little bit more time. And in the last couple of years, probably since I've come back to Dublin, we've been kind of throwing a few ideas around of what we wanted to do. And we went down a couple of different avenues of businesses and some that we won't mention and uh, thought about and eventually we kind of settled on golf just because we all had an interest. We I think at the end point of it was, look, if this does fail, at least we'll all have golf gear for the rest of our lives. And luckily uh, it's kind of kicked on a little bit more. It was, like I said, it was a side gig from all of us. I'm now doing it full time. I've, I've kind of thrown in the towel at my job I was doing. So uh, it's good that it's allowed us to do that. And I think there's a, the other three lads might not be too far away. I mean, not this summer, but maybe in the next kind of year, or hopefully they'll be on the same track. Um, so we're lucky that it's kind of gone strength to strength per se, but kind of the next six months will be quite big for us and will tell us a lot about where we are going. Okay, first thing I'm going to jump in on is I think you need to tell us some of those stories because you've already told them on this before and one of them is brilliant. So I think you need to tell us some of those previous ideas on what Duck Hook could have been. So there's, there's a lot of things that Duck Hook could have been. Um, one of them, which we tried to get up, well, we didn't quite get it off the ground. We didn't try to get it off the ground. Uh, we got a lot of samples of fake tan, basically because I'd seen this fit like Bally Body. Any of the women that will be watching or listening to this will know what that is. That thing sells like a bottle every six seconds. And I was like, if we can just market it well, get a good fake tan, get some good looking models, like what an easy, an easy sell. But finding the models was the the tough part yeah um so that never really got quite got off the ground we kind of had the fake tan ready to go we still have it sitting in our house um maybe at a later stage duck hook will bring out a bronzer or something who knows uh, a little kind of side side item fair well i think it's a it's a good thing that you went with the golf thing uh <laughs> as you said even just to have some golf gear for the rest of your life uh you're covered what a nice way to take the pressure off uh of its success um even even from the lot from here until like the last time we actually tried to record this like obviously quite a lot has changed you were still talking about doing a little bit here and there and and everyone was still in their jobs um so what's changed now that has uh like you've been able to go and and quit your job and now everyone else is thinking about it so what sort of changed since christmas that has has really picked up i think yeah since we recorded this uh, i think we did it in early january uh, it was like for me i think it was always on the cards wanting to leave I, like i used to work as a sales rep for a technology company and i just really didn't enjoy it so at the first chance i was always going to leave but i think we had a really good christmas period and we brought out a lot of items they seemed to sell pretty well and then we kind of expected stuff to kind of just fall off a little bit as it got a little bit quieter and golf courses weren't open etc and then things just kept up and kept going and then I thought look if, I'm not, if we're not going to do it now then I'm never going to do it um so that's why I kind of took it I kind of took the chance to do it and I'm, I'm more than happy to like do as much as I can with it and try and build it and like okay look I think we're a little bit further away from the rest of the lads to go full-time that's probably not that serious of a statement but 
like in a year's time, I think a lot of things have changed since January to now, like we're in the middle of April. Um, so who knows in a year's time what, what could happen, but we're keeping our fingers crossed anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I sort of, I did jump ahead there just because you've been talking about it, but so we'll, we'll bring it back a little bit. Like there's a lot of other golf brands out there apart from, you know, just having a clothing collection yourself. What, 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 what sort of, what was the need for say duck hook here? Where, where did you see the the gap and the target? And uh, Sully, if, if you want to jump in on this and then, or, or Nick, whichever, if, if whoever's happy answering this. Yeah, so we went like when it originally started. I, I think one of the big things that Ben mentioned was that you know we obviously tried all these other ones, but we didn't have an interest in it. I mean, yeah, we thought we could sell fake tan, but none of us obviously had an interest in it. But when it was golf, we all had this big interest, and we were sitting there thinking, you know, that a lot of the times you have to pay, you know, outrageous amounts of money for the bigger brands in golf, and there was no smaller brand, or there were there were okay there were smaller brands, but ones that we didn't really feel fit what we were looking for in golf apparel, and that was kind of where the initially started, and we were, you know, just kind of looking at it and tinkering and trying to figure out what our products might look like or what you know our brand our vision might be like, and I think it was you know it really obviously helped that we were all interested in it, and then obviously when Nick joined, Nick has a big interest in golf as well. Um, and was real passionate about getting involved and stuff and that's one of the big drivers that we okay we, we saw a need for within the market of what we thought it should be like or what way we feel a brand should be running the golf industry um, and that's kind of was the big driver when we started it um, so that was probably the big thing behind it but it was it was trying to make good quality clothes but not paying an outrageous price that you know we feel a lot of the time you have to pay in the golf industry yeah it's, it's kind of oh like I'm, I'm no bugger all about golf, but that is one thing that I have come across on numerous times. It's very high price points for even just for clothing, like a, a normal what Under Armour polo, and you're still you're already looking at fifty quid for a polo, and uh, jump. Um, that's that's key, probably that sets you apart. Um, Nick, then with with that being said, how do you then go about sort of how do you go about your sort of creative process uh, now in terms of how, how you you pick out your styles and stuff and, and maybe even uh, Ben, I know you're the you're the style style guru in this group, uh, so maybe you can jump in here too and and tell us a bit more of the early days of sort of product design and development. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll start off sharing if you want to jump in with anything I miss, feel free. Well, first of all, our decision-making process is very flat. I, you don't often have to run things by many people. So like there's a serious chance for us to just try things out. Like we all have similar-ish styles and I think we have a good idea of what we're trying to actually create. And like the brand has a bit of a style in itself, which is important uh, and kind of needs to stay true to what it is. So yeah, it's really just a case about coming up with ideas, you know, in terms of creative. I wouldn't say any of us are, well, I'm certainly not a, a creative driven person, but it's, you know, you do have a good sense of what you're trying to achieve, what you're trying to release. So it's just about trying things out. Like Ben's wearing a sample right now, like doesn't mean necessarily we're going to release something like that, but like there's constantly us thinking of ideas, getting samples, seeing if we like them. If we do, great. If you don't, who cares? So like we have a good attitude towards doing things like that. So I think that's important as well. We're not getting hung up on any little mistakes we might make. Yeah, I think. Sorry, Ben, go ahead. No, I was just going to say kind of what, what Nick said. And we, 
at the beginning you obviously don't have a lot of money to do what you're doing and you take a little bit more of a risk now that you have a few sales you can afford to put a lot more money into samples and really refine down what you want so like we launched with four polo shirts and polos are pretty safe bet to begin with and then we extended to quarter zips and now we're doing shorts and trousers and all these things that are a little bit riskier and take a little bit more time to refine uh, but as you kind of progress forward and hopefully your sales grow a little bit it gives you the freedom to be able to go out and, and do that so uh, like luckily I think we haven't made too many big mistakes along the way so it's it's all been a gradual build rather than a sudden skyrocket and the way you release things at the certainly initially at the moment is kind of drops of uh, blocks of stuff and is that kind of giving you a little bit more freedom to um to experiment it was like well we'll okay we'll do this lot and here's one sort of little experiment if it works we'll bring it back in future because you're starting to see now in april what you're a year on now you're starting to see uh you're starting to see re-releases of stuff i think you just re-released uh was it the the jumper you're wearing nick yeah this we re like restocked this and released it in a different color so like a lot of that stuff's kind of like ever evolving where like you realize something's wor working and you're like okay let's get some more of those or try some put a, a slightly different twist in it and then maybe some slightly larger blocks of releases where we try new things like for instance shorts and trousers and giving a kind of a wider set of offering um so yeah it's kind of a, a mix between the two of kind of restocking what's going well trying to find the balance of actually having something there to be sold like so stock management is, is is definitely a tough learning um but yeah and then do you, think, do you think the fact that sort of you have this freedom to be creative and to try things is do you think that's one of the things that set is going to set you guys apart because you have that freedom yeah like i think in comparison to big uh corporate brands that are trying to do this they're ordering stuff in such big stock because they are selling it to such a vast quantity of people. They can't take that big a risk on a on a certain crew neck jumper because if it doesn't if one if they don't sell then they're stuck with this big stock because we don't have to order that much of it and we're growing at the moment. That's obviously a challenge we will face eventually, but at the moment it means that we can be pretty versatile and kind of create a load of different things, see what works, and then bring out like continue to produce stuff that does work and just drop the stuff that doesn't. We are the like manufacturer that we get our stuff off also does it for a large another large brand in the golfing world so we like we are 100 confident in all the quality of it you know it's just as good as anything out there just that we can put our own spin on it and make it uh, different to what's being offered absolutely yeah and then so sully what sort of that's a little bit about what's coming down the line without without re revealing any insider secrets what what do you what do you hope for next or what's what even what's the current plan um in place and, and what do you hope will come down the line um like i think nick kind of mentioned one of the big things for us was to is to have a full offering i mean you know eventually as all big golf fans what we'd love to see is you know someone on tour wearing head to toe duck hook but before you get to that stage of you know sponsoring any kind of player or athlete in any kind of way you need a full offering um, so, so as Nick mentioned, we're, we're now kind of looking at shorts, trousers, jackets, um, you know, just kind of all areas of apparel that you need to have that full offering. So it's kind of, we've, I mean, that's even further down the road. Like we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Like the big first thing is a lot of people have been locked up in their houses and waiting for the 26th to actually get out in the course. So we're, look, we're hoping for a, a big kind of back to golf period. And then obviously leading into the summer and, you know, hopefully a big summer. And then after that, we kind of, 
we'll go from there with with that but it's it's all really leading up to having a full offering and then hopefully driving that on yeah do you did you see a spike with with the with the masters and then now coming in the timing of the golf courses opening up like that's they're sort of within a, a month of one another do you see the have you seen like a, a boost from the two of them sort of coming together yeah absolutely and like i think you could you know if you bring it back to hockey like you know yourself simon that even before pre-season or before training you'd be thinking about buying some new pair of astros or a new stick or grip or whatever it may be it's the same in any sport you play that there's always that excitement before you're getting back to, to playing it golf is a funny one because it's obviously you can play all year round normally there is no there's no COVID or pandemic that's keeping you you know within the 5k and the course are closed so yeah there's there's the kind of almost a pent-up energy of people can't wait to get out in the course and, and we see a lot of people who are you know interacting with us on our you know any kind of through any platform or after they've purchased saying look counting down the days to the 26th and can't wait to get out and wear the the gear on the course and then obviously when you throw that in with the masters being only a few weeks before the courses open up again it's yeah it's kind of like golf fever so we're we're hoping to kind of reap the rewards of that and kind of drive as much, you know, as we can on, on all our platforms and, and see how that kind of, you know, positively impacts us. I think uh, just a good point on that is we, we ran a competition, I think it was back in October when the golf courses were open. Obviously, we, we were only just getting started then, but I think we got about 200 to 300 entrants. And obviously, we ran one then in, alongside the Masters this time. And obviously, we've, we've grown our, a little bit of following, but we got something like maybe 3,000 entries into it which is kind of massive for what we were doing. We thought we were lucky to get a thousand. So to get 3,000 into it, I think it just shows that people are so keen just to get back to golf and just have something to do. Like it's, uh, so I think we, we, it has kind of worked out quite well. As much as COVID has probably impacted our uh, business, people not playing golf and wanting to buy stuff all the time, it has also led to this. People are just kind of sat at home waiting to get out there. Yeah. You, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, no, I was just going to say as well, like, I think there's a bit of a, like, like we were saying, we're obviously like a bit of a challenger in this space and we're, we're certainly not competing with the big guys. And I, I think people have grown to quite like that about us and that, you know, we're trying something new. People like to support the little guy and join us on a bit of a story and on a journey. So I think that's coming into fruition as well. Like people are starting to actually like our brand and the clothes as well speak for themselves. So I think a, a lot of those sort of factors combining has has led us to where we are and I, i'm sure that once things open up again and hopefully stay if i can open this time um we'll only kick on further yeah it seems you sort of uh struck gold a little bit in in timing in that your online selling place everything's gone online so although you've lost the golf courses you don't have to worry about getting into a golf shop or anything like that so you can generate everything there through that plus you're getting that sort of particularly back in, maybe it's continuing now but back in the summer there was that sort of like swell of support irish support local sort of support friends and family so you sort of jumped on the perfect time with a wave that has maybe uh contributed to that do you think that's kind of the case or part of part contributor or or, or what do you think yeah like there's people now who like would never have even thought about purchasing online but suddenly have learned so there's been like an education about like online purchasing especially among slightly older demographics so like the ability to reach them where you may not previously have done that has allowed us to be a lot more agile in the way we operate because we don't necessarily want to be bricks and mortar and we don't have plans to be just yet um it just makes life easier to be honest with you so yeah 
that level of education that's happened over the last year and like if we can do this well and get off the ground in a global pandemic i think it only bodes well for the future as well and do you do you plan to stay online or do you plan to start getting yourself into pro shops and stuff as they start to open up like the conversations have happened and we've kind of been clear in our messaging that we'll probably get there eventually but for now we're focused on just learning to walk before we can run if you will um and just focusing on nailing the basics before you you bite off more than you can chew and then suddenly you know you go tits up we don't exactly have much room uh, <laughs> to do that at the moment so yeah not making mistakes is as important as getting stuff right that's fair i suppose if, if people start coming knocking on the door then you can look at that rather than forcing it uh, down the road you've also you've kind of gone fairly fairly global already um and quite savvy with the with your instagram um and your socials was it intentional to get it into the hands of you know there's you see rugby players with it there's a lot of people sort of representing it from all over the place were they people who just heard about it and it worked out nicely that they could you could kind of promote it with with them wearing that stuff or did you actively go out and find people like that to sort of represent the band the brand yeah so i think uh we we didn't even put that much into kind of the marketing that we've done of it so far. Like a lot of it, we tried to just be organic on our social medias and kind of see what happens. We did kind of just before Christmas do a bit of a blast where we pulled on a few legs of rugby players that we knew and had a bit of a following, send out a bit of free gear and just to get a bit of a, a bit of traction that way. But we, to be honest, we haven't done a whole lot of kind of marketing influencing or, or, or influencer marketing even um, or anything like that. So it's, we're trying our best to try and make it organic as possible because you don't get sales from fake followers. Absolutely. And it feels genuine. I think that's, that, that's the big thing that comes across. It does, it does feel genuine in a big way. Um, so you guys obviously set up during COVID. What, what challenges did that in itself pose, if, if any? And, and if there was no sort of COVID challenges, what were some of the challenges that you faced in getting off the ground? I'll take it if you want. <laughs> I think that I, I would say, like, from my own personal experience, the biggest challenge was actually Brexit. Um, and actually, like, it was actually kind of the thing you'd heard about all the time. But I, like, personally, I didn't pay enough attention to it. But, like, suddenly then one day I was like, oh, shit, are every single one of our customers going to get landed with a bill, a tax bill, every time they, we deliver something to the UK? So, like, trying to figure that out. At one point, like, a load of orders got stuck in customs. We didn't know what was happening with them. So like that was probably one of the biggest things, not COVID related, I guess, but over the last year, something that was uh, out of our control that definitely uh, had me a little bit worried. Anything on COVID from your perspective, lads? Do you remember anything conversations initially? Um, Nothing initially, but I can kind of think at the moment, I think if we got to where we were at this stage, we probably would have gone out to see our supplier and we would have lined up everything we were planning on producing in the next kind of six months, which is something we're hoping to do probably next October is go out to where our suppliers are and get everything lined up a season ahead because at the moment we're kind of working three months and it's we're making we're making ends meet and it's making it work. But uh, obviously if COVID wasn't there, the opportunity would be there to find and go and see them straight away. So I think that's been... And an issue it wasn't an issue starting out because we didn't have the means to go and fly around the world to to go and see our suppliers but i think now that will change hopefully when we all get a vaccine and yeah, honestly though like oh sorry go sorry, if you want. 
I was just going to say that in, in fairness, we like we've actually been quite when we think about COVID, we, we tend to talk about the benefits that and how it's helped us and how, you know, as Nick mentioned, you know, people buying online e-commerce, you know, we, we kind of just discuss the benefits as opposed to how negatively, you know, it's impacted us. So, I mean, you know, everyone is spending less money on stuff and is like dying to go buy some new things. So we're, you know, we're, we try to focus on that. So in one sense, we kind of, it's not really much of an issue. It's kind of how we started. It's, it's the way we started our business. It's actually going to be probably a bit of a shock for us when, when COVID's gone and where, you know, because we, we started in, in, during a pandemic, it's, it's going to be a whole new thing for us when, when there is no pandemic. I, I think if there was no COVID at the moment, we would be on the golf course right now and every evening. Like, we get, we get a lot of time to do, obviously the guys all work day jobs, so a lot of our work is done in the evenings. Um, so it will be a bit of a shock when we're all trying to play golf 24-7 and actually have to sit down and do a bit of work. <laughs> Yeah, yikes. What if golf had to take a bit of a backseat? <laughs> Don't think that would go down too well. No, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great answer. Um, it's a nice way of looking at it. There's a lot of negativity thrown around about this whole situation. And I think from, from the start, I've, I've tried to be, although I've had my, my, my gripey moments where I start moaning, but very much trying to frame positives um, of, of what we've gotten out of, of it rather than the bad stuff. And I, I think it's a great way of looking at it. Um, there's quite a there's quite a connection between sort of the the hockey community and the golf community you, every year it's like people looking at their watches waiting for the end of the season so they can get back out on the golf courses and stop wasting time on a, on a training pitch um do you see yourself do you think the the hockey connection one do you think the hockey connection has um bolstered your support uh from the off and then i suppose the follow-up question would be and now, obviously, we're still early doors, but do you see, you know, like how many years have we been involved in the first team? And there's always talk of like off-pitch gear for after games and stuff. Do you think that'd be like doing special once-off kind of things like that, getting involved in that kind of game? Or is it very much stick with golf now while we can? And, you know, if, again, if things come down the line, great, but you're not going hunting for them. Um, Like, as, as I mentioned, as a fan of the bar in Pembroke, um, and that's where I spend most of my time as opposed to actually on the pitch. Uh, I'd love to see people after games in, in Duck Hook limited edition. I'm sure, I'm sure if we end up going on a preseason trip again to Dusseldorf or something like that, we'd have to commission some sort of limited edition Pembroke, uh, Duck Hook, Polo or Tugger Top. But, um, but I mean, you know, to go back in your, your first point, the, you know, the, the hockey community is quite small. Um, but it's also similar in a way to the Irish golf community. Like it, it's quite small. Everyone knows everyone. And once you get the brand out there, the, the support has been fantastic. But the crossover has also been fantastic from, I mean, you know, even people within Pembroke have obviously supported us. And then, you know, the likes of, you know, some Irish internationals and, you know, Shane O'Donoghue, Matthew Bell, you know, some of those guys who obviously play golf as well um, have supported too. So there's, there's a brilliant kind of support network. And, and funny enough, one of, one of the best things we find about starting a brand is when you start, you obviously know every customer who comes in, you can see their name and, and you end up remembering their names. And funnily enough, from the very start, one of our biggest supporters probably has almost everything we've released is Brian Trevor, whose daughter is Amy Kate Trevor on the, oh. the Pembroke ones. Uh, now, I don't know if the, he knew the connection beforehand or if it just funnily enough ended up that way, but it's, it's just quite funny how it all kind of circles back in and, and the, two kind of communities mingle in that way so it's they're, they're quite similar and what what about the connection Sully that you had with Gar Evans and has since led to sponsorship of a 
Oh, golf podcast. What was the story behind that? Oh, yeah. So um, there's another brilliant example. that So Gar Evans, um, Monkstown legend, unfortunately. Um, no, I'm joking. He, so Gar was my Irish coach, or Irish coach when under 16s. Um, and he is very good friends with Johnny McCann, who runs the Bogeyman podcast. So for anyone listening, go listen to the Bogeyman podcast. Um, but we've now entered in like a partnership with them. And they're two great lads, uh, Johnny and Dave, that are running kind of a golf podcast weekly. And it, that relationship grew by Gar saying to Johnny, oh, look, you know, have you seen these guys? Ash used to coach him. And, and that's kind of how Johnny originally got onto us. And the relationship grew that way. It was all through, through Gar Evans, originally from me being a 15-year-old hockey player, probably telling him to F off or something like that. But uh, funny how it all came back. Classic monks and scrounging off Pembroke, having no facilities of their own. You know, <laughs> the poor. <laughs> Please. Well, I'm definitely going to have to cut that one. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Uh, um, uh, on a similar note, I think um, like the Irish public have a bit of a, a reputation for being kind of negative towards our own. Like if we all start to do something often, I don't know, I find, especially in business for some reason, but I find that in the hockey community, it's been the almost the opposite. Like the amount of hockey players who popped up, who like I didn't play that much hockey, but uh, like guys I played against underage for Ulster and Leinster coming in buying like a lot of stuff. And like repeat buyers, not just doing it for a once-off support. So it's the it's it's really tight-knit community, I think, and it's we've been really really thankful for it. Yeah, there is a there is an element of begrudgery that goes about of like, oh look at him over there doing well, and yeah. Beckham, you know, and uh, it. It is definitely there's a very much a vibe of support your own in 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 hockey and the more people that can rise up, the better. Um, even you see like players come in from from other countries and it's like straight away we're like oh we can all help with the job or we can help and support and I think that's probably one of the biggest things about the hockey community. Uh, Sammy was on here, Sammy Dowling was on here uh, uh, a few episodes ago and he was talking similar. Like he wants to get his kid involved because of the community that you have in Pembroke and, and hockey in general uh, around the country. It's, it really is a, a great, uh, a great thing. And just, it leads me on to, it leads me on to my final question. Um, and it's something I've wanted to introduce now the last, the last few times and we're only getting to it now, but I suppose there is that sort of um, connection between both personal business lives and sport and I suppose for each of you, what would be uh, a lesson or a takeaway that you have brought into your business life or personal life, either either duck hook or or in your own work and stuff? Maybe the biggest lesson that you've taken from sport that's transferred over into into that realm. Nick, we might start with you if if you've got one ready. Uh, otherwise, someone jump in. Um, but we'll go through all three of you. Yeah, and I think the one thing that's really just a lesson that's been learned throughout this last year is kind of just to not go it alone and like there's such support around you go look for it go ask questions of people get introductions we've just talked about how small the irish hockey community is the crossover with other stuff so like leverage that like don't don't be too big for it be humble in the fact that you know other people can help you go seek it you know you don't know everything yourself um so yeah the last year has just taught me that like there's so many interesting and cool people in my network and the lads network that we can leverage and everyone has been willing to have a chat everyone's more than happy to see to see us trying to succeed um so yeah that's been the biggest lesson is really like 
my day-to-day job like i speak with people in the uk all this sort of stuff and it can be quite insular and you never get to connect with your own local community so i think just that's kind of brought me back to you know who i know my network and, and who's willing to help good answer I'm going to piggyback on Nick's and just say, like, at the very beginning of this, it was just myself, uh, Scott and William. And then Nick obviously was like, look, I'd love to get involved. And we we said to Nick, he was so keen on it. And like, we haven't looked back since. It's been great having Nick involved. And I think probably going out and that, like, if you have an idea, but you don't know where to start, there's the possible, like, plenty of people have the same idea, that they, or not the same idea, but they have the same feelings of wanting to start something or do something a little bit different. So... I would say go out and ask people because if Nick hadn't come and said to us, then this wouldn't have got to where it was. And I'm sure Duck Hook wouldn't be as good as it is now. If Nick hadn't got involved, so I think go out and ask people to like what tell people your ideas, talk to people about different things. Like there's a community out there of creators. Absolutely. And Sully then finish with you. Yeah, like I think I mean they're the two lads kind of really hit the nail on the head with those. I mean, the one the one for me as well is we, you know. Ben kind of alluded to it earlier that the the failure thing was if, if this all goes you know as, as Nick said tits up at least we have golf gear for the rest of our life like that was the fallback and um, I also think then when we discussed it like similar enough in the sport that we realized that we weren't really afraid to fail it was kind of like we'd rather give it a go and give it a hundred percent and try and see where this can go like I mean you know Ben is the first one of us to make the decision to you know leave his job to try and now do this full time and really give it you know, 100% and see because you, you don't want to be looking back in 10 years' time if we did it at a half-assed job of it and go, uh, look, you know, having a major regrets about it. Um, so I think that would probably be the big one is not really being afraid to, to go 100% into it and, and trying to see where we can take this over the next couple of years. And, you know, obviously, we if we end up being one of the tiny percentage of people who get to make their passion, you know, their job every day, um, for me, we succeeded if we are able to do that, you know. Brilliant answer, Sully. Uh, I, I think it, uh, especially from from playing, you get that. It's like the, the, there's nothing worse than coming off the pitch, losing a game that you knew that you did not put everything into. And there's nothing worse than that feeling. You come up and you've gone, wow, like I emptied the tank there. And you know what? They were just better than you. You can kind of settle for it. There's always that little bit of competitive side in you. But I think to be able to carry that then over into the freedom to just go out on a limb and take this on. I think I think is a huge lesson. It's a great one that I think a lot of people could uh, a lot of people could t- could take on. Lads, tell us where can the people find you? Um, socials, website, etc. Give us your details. So you can yeah, we're on all the socials. We're on Facebook. Just type in Duckhook, Instagram, Duckhook, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn. MySpace, you know it, we'll be there. Find us, the Content Kings. Fantastic. Any, 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 uh, any final messages you wanna you wanna leave us with? Just thanks to all the Pembroke people who've supported, like, and shown an interest for sure. Like we've we've definitely seen it. Um. So yeah, really just thankful for everyone. Thank you, Simon, as well for having us on, allowing us to air our weird thoughts my pleasure we've had loads of support from everyone at Pembroke and, and I think me and Scott were saying the other day there's, there's always one person that sticks out and we're not even sure who plays golf but Maddie Tracy was there on the day we launched and bought a couple of things and he's been back a few times since so we don't we don't even know if he plays golf but uh, <laughs> that's one of the support and it's been throughout the club so it's we really appreciate that much 
Addy Tracy, is some man. Sully, final word from you. Yeah, I mean, like Matt Tracy's one, but there have been numerous people in Pembroke who, you know, who we could mention who we thank and and we do really, really appreciate the support. And there's been various people as well who customers who've come to us and said they've heard of our brand from someone in Pembroke. So we know there are people in Pembroke as well telling their friends and family, and we, we really do appreciate it. Um, and we, uh, we can't wait to, I think we all agree, we can't wait to see Rob in the bar, most importantly. But, uh, but yeah, I can't wait to be back in the bar, having a pint with everyone, and um, hopefully be sooner rather than later. Yeah, fingers crossed. Lads, you've been brilliant. Thanks for coming on and doing this a second time. Guys, if you've enjoyed this interview, uh, show us by hitting the like button and subscribing to the channel. Uh, I've been your host, Simon Thornton. Thank you for watching. Join me next time for another Clubhouse conversation. Peace. That's uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It was a little quicker than the last one. Cheers, Simon.